We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland, and as always I am joined by Sean Siegel, co-owner of Rotoviz, co-host of Stadium Bananas, and of course co-host here on Rotoviz Overtime as well. Sean, it is our week three edition of the Instant Reaction Show, and I'm really looking forward to getting into this. A pretty, pretty fun week, you know, some disappointing games, some disappointing results, some disappointing plays from a fantasy football perspective, but also some real uh real positives real fun plays and real good games as well in certain situations <laughs> there's there's certain games each week that when, when that team is on the docket and we won't be touching on some of them on today's show we'll be touching on some of them on the show later this week that when you see those names popping up you're like this one isn't going to be the exciting one but there are certain teams and we'll start off with them in a moment the buffalo bills for example the miami dolphins when you see those names on the on the docket you're like yeah, this is going to be a, a pretty fun one here to watch. So looking forward to diving into these games. Lots of action. Obviously, without the bye weeks, we are just getting fast and furious games in those early windows, for example, and really, really enjoying this opening 30-week uh, spell to the season. Sean, how was week three so far for you? A couple of games left uh, to play. Yeah, I, it was a weird one, right? The The first week was exciting. The second week had big, big highs and deep deep lows week three was just weird and it's pretty weird at spots yeah a lot of fun things still happen we had the romeo dobbs breakout we had Devonte smith announced to the world that he is not gonna go down easily in the battle to be the philadelphia eagles alpha wide receiver we had another big weekend from the zero RB troops, James Robinson, Cordero Patterson, Jamal Williams, Devin Singletary, Khalil Herbert, all of them putting up massive games from draft slots that would have been very, very easy to layer those guys onto your roster. A few of the big name running backs bounced back. We had Derrick Henry looking good this week, at least putting up points. We had Dalvin Cook looking like himself. And unfortunately for Dalvin Cook managers, probably looking like himself in almost every way, beating the Lions at will showing off that rushing ability that's so unique and so elite, but then also suffering the shoulder injury that gets him out late 
we get some points there from Alexander Madison in a fill-in role. If you have Dalvin Cook and you had put those points on his score, it would have been a huge game for him. We'll see how healthy uh, so many of these players are coming out of week three. Probably one of the biggest disappointments, DeAndre Swift supposedly was feeling a little bit better this week, but didn't look good today. He came up limping on almost all of his carries doesn't touch the ball very much as a result they had a chance to get him an early touchdown and at least uh, sort of reinforce what he's doing in terms of fighting through some of the injury elements out there they give that touch to williams he scores and really after that swift wasn't healthy enough to play so uh, perhaps unfortunate but definitely again if you were playing jamal williams you're very happy that it went that route McCollum, the headlines from this week are a full-blown meltdown by the Kansas City Chiefs managing to lose to probably one of the NFL's worst teams. We don't know for sure yet that that's going to be the case with the Colts, but the Colts look awful. The Chiefs really had to pull out all the stops and make every mistake in the book to not still win this game sort of going away. And then the Bills, I mean, at least they have an excuse that the Miami Dolphins look fantastic right i mean this dolphins team is going to end up being very very good probably not to the level of the chiefs and the bills but you if you're a miami dolphins fan you have to be really excited about how these first three weeks have played out and with that being said i mean they they won a game here where tua attempts 18 passes josh allen attempts 63 and the bills managed to score fewer points those are probably the two games that jump out as being kind of wild and crazy and just flat out weird the packers tampa bay buccaneers game another little bit odd one but aaron Rodgers does come through as i mentioned we get the breakout from Dobbs. we get a touchdown from alan lazard that one was a physical battle all the way and you've got to be very happy that your packers are able to hold off tom brady and the shorthanded Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was wondering how that was going to finish up when it was getting to the Buccaneers having no receivers left. I uh, just was wondering, was Aaron Rodgers going to fit in? Was he not going to fit in? But Sean there with a very, I guess we'll say, politically correct uh, outcome of the uh, Packers game. I, I've said the Packers have a good defense, Sean. They've kind of shown up over the last two weeks a little bit. But I guess you can put a bit of that down as well to the fact that the uh, the the Buccaneers don't actually have a full complement of, of weapons there. But they did struggle throughout um that is the, the Buccaneers receiving side, but I think overall, good one for the Packers. You're on the road against the Buccaneers. You'll take that if the offense is depleted for a multitude of reasons between injuries, suspensions. That's still a big one on the road for the for the Green Bay Packers. And to get the Dobbs kind of, I guess we'll say, I guess we'll call it a breakout opening drive maybe. Um, you know, it was a little bit slower after that, but a big run on the the Packers opening touchdown to get the touchdown, to get those early receptions. And looks really good. Looks looks a lot bigger than a lot of these nfl players when you see him out there and i was very impressed with how that worked out overall sean you bounced around a lot of games there we'll bounce in and out between them ourselves here as we go through them really good synopsis off the overall week a lot of the key points hit there so we'll dive a little bit deeper into them sean you mentioned the buffalo bills game you mentioned the chiefs game as well i might even slightly pair them together i think we'll probably have more to talk about on the bills dolphins but the Chiefs game really, really weird 
Bills game really, really weird as well. You mentioned the passing stats, 400 yards, though, for Josh Allen. It wasn't a case that he was dropping back to pass 63 times because they were, you know, in, in a game script where they were behind the whole game. They led this one pretty much start to finish, but it was close, you know, a lot of tied points during the game. But the Bills looked fantastic in this, uh, even though they went on to lose. I thought they looked really, really good. Um, and then the big talking point, I guess, after this is going to be with uh, Tua in terms of him getting that kind of late push that led to a flag that he was very, very woozy getting up from. Really looked like he had suffered some sort of a head trauma unsteady on his legs, comes back in and leads the team to victory. So there'll be questions around how that protocol was followed for the concussion symptoms, but um, he throws it 18 times, one touchdown, 186 yards, 42 completions out of 63 for Josh Allen, 400 yards, two touchdowns. He also leads the Bills in rushing in this one, eight for 47. But my big takeaway, Sean, from this, and this is easy for listeners, they'll know this is my big takeaway, is Devin Singletary had a, an appearance this week, which was worthy of having him in your fantasy football rosters. Not much happening on the ground. Outside of Zach Moss for the Bills running backs, just the 9 for 13 coming the way for Devin Singletary, but we have 9 for 78 off 11 targets coming his way and a touchdown. I thought he looked really impressive in this game. Stefan Diggs suffered a little bit of cramp towards the end. Very hot conditions down in Miami. He went 7 for 74. The other big name, or other big performance, I guess, not exactly a big name, but did gather a little bit of buzz in the preseason was Isaiah McKenzie, 7 for 76 and a touchdown on nine targets going his way. Overall, I thought that the Bills were the better team here, but they just kind of never made it fully count, and it, it came back to haunt them at the very end when when the Dolphins were able to get that big play to waddle and then, and then finish it off with the uh, touchdown. So Chase Edmonds, two touchdowns, just the 21 yards on the ground. What was your other takeaways from a fantasy football aspect in this? Um outside of Devin Singletary becoming the lead back for the Buffalo Bills. Well, I, they continue to try and get Zach Moss involved. And one of their... That's because you have to use Devin Singletary in the passing game, Sean. You have to you have to get him out there. Well, in this particular game, they could have had an easy blowout if they don't bring Moss in for the second drive, give him two carries where he gains one yard. And then you have... Josh Allen fumble there on third down. Now Moss does break a big play later in this game. Obviously Devin Singletary not gaining anything on the ground either. I just don't understand what the fascination is with Moss. When you're looking at Singletary versus Cook, I mean, those were the two guys who were exciting. We don't have a lot of Cook because he was going so close to Singletary because he was going ahead of some other guys who had a little bit easier path to scoring the types of points that you would want from a running back that you draft in that range. And yet, I mean, this is going to go in the James Cook direction as the season goes along. It's one of the reasons why you needed to get your Singletary points in now in this week. One of the things a little bit frustrating about how these early games have played out and kind of the danger of that week one game, and then if it's not completely rectified in week two, is that by week three, you have Devin Singletary on your bench. And so he's not getting those points for you except in best ball. That's a little bit of the concern that you have as well with Devontae Smith, where even after the big week two or the very solid week two, maybe you still don't have him in if you have the type of wide receiver depth that we have. This game, again, is very, very odd. It seemed like the Bills needed to... Uh, 
there were so many cases today where if teams had simply done the obvious thing and not try to outthink themselves, then they probably win this game. It looked like Gabe Davis caught a touchdown. They didn't challenge it. They end up not getting the touchdown on that drive. Now, maybe it's not overturned. And it's certainly a case where it was close, right? Where he has the catch, he's in the end zone. It is a touchdown, then loses the ball. Maybe that doesn't get overturned, but because it's a touchdown, you probably need to challenge that and see what they do. There were some close plays today that were overturned. There was a close play with Evan Ingram yeah. where, I mean, again, was it a touchdown? Probably not. But did they have the video evidence to completely overturn that? Was it again, probably not. So from that perspective, I mean, you've got to give your team a chance there. They had a, an opportunity at the end of the first half to attempt a long field goal. And instead, for whatever reason, Josh Allen throws the ball inbounds to Stephon Diggs and the time runs out. You have the situation late in the game where they have a 17 play drive that uses up eight minutes. One of the reasons the Dolphins didn't have the ball much in this game. They end up getting the carry from the two yard line on first and goal from Singletary. He gets to the one inch line at the two minute warning, doesn't get in on the next play. Josh Allen loses yardage and the last two plays a little bit tricky. I mean, they could have scored 40 points in this game and one going away, but didn't do some obvious things. And when you have a few of those mistakes, you get the missed field goal. That was something that came into play for multiple teams today. The Chiefs, a missed field goal working in there. There's nothing wrong with the Buffalo Bills. They'll obviously be fine. Stephon Diggs does look like he's going to be in the mix to be the overall wide receiver one or at least two behind Cooper Cup. They're going to score a lot of points. Their running backs are going to score some points. But this is a weird one, a little bit disappointing one. Also a little bit disappointing for Miami Dolphins fans. If you have Raheem Mostert and you get the two short touchdowns from Chase Edmonds, that can be a little bit frustrating. But Edmonds making those plays look good. Here again, in a game where... Tua only throws 18 times to get those six targets, four receptions, 102 yards for Jalen Waddle. He looks like an absolute superstar. If you're the actual Dolphins and not <laughs> Dolphins fantasy managers, then you're very excited that you won a game where Tyreek Hill only catches two passes for 33 yards. You'll take that and you'll get Tyreek more involved again next week. Yeah, and when you look at this particular game, if you had said going in, you're playing the Bills, you're going to get 10 targets between Waddle and Hill, and you're going to beat the Buffalo Bills. I, I don't think people would have really been able to contemplate how that would have happened, but that is what happened here. And um, yeah, still still a very, very fun game. Came down to the, the wire here and a, a win for the, the Dolphins. Moving on next to the Chiefs. Sean, you mentioned this being a weird game. This was just a bizarre game. It felt like the Chiefs made mistake after mistake, but it also felt like they were still in control making those mistakes. But um, I'll, I'll let you dig into the details here, but just a very weird game against a very bad team who, if you're a Colts fan, you don't want to hear that. But another game where I thought Matt Ryan did not look good, even though he comes away with two touchdowns, no interceptions, 222 yards. Probably, again, Taylor gets 21 carries here just gets 71 yards from it but you need to be using him a little bit more in the, the passing game as well and just a strange strange game the only real receiving game of note would be michael Pittman with the eight for 72 on the cold side so another game that felt a bit like that bills game where they just didn't put the team away and 
that came back to haunt them at the very end. Yeah, they played a lot, lot worse than the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, well, that's true, did. too. Yeah. I mean, Mahomes still goes for 262 and one. He gets the touchdown at the end. I mean, the interception at the end where he doesn't get a great play on the ball from his receivers. Eight targets to Juju, eight targets to Travis Kelsey, seven targets to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. We do get a few routes in there for Sky and Moore, but no targets. I mean, they absolutely have to get him involved, right? This is a team that doesn't have the talent he to not mistakes, play. He's though. He, uh, he did cost them quite early in the game with that. Yeah, I mean. Fumble. <laughs> that's not where I want him to be involved. And yeah. it's just so frustrating. He muffs the punt. So to go through the things that had to happen for the Chiefs to lose this game, they muff a punt. They don't attack at the end of the first half, which leads to argument between Patrick Mahomes and the offensive coordinator there. You get the impression already that some frustration kind of boiling through with how things are working in the early going. They bizarrely tempt a fake field goal in this game. The Indianapolis Colts are not the kind of team that you need to be trying to fake field goals against. When you are the dominant team, when you are the far better team, when only fluky plays where you give up chances to score and you give up possessions for no particular reason. It felt like they may have thought that this was a, an opportunity to practice their uh, special teams plays. Maybe that's why they did it. Well, I mean, but you're not. No, but what I mean is they didn't need it today, but maybe they thought that they were going to win this game. So just, let's just try it. It was, that was a bizarre attempt. You can't do any of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's absolutely rid ridiculous, right? You don't want to increase the variance in a game where you're the team that is the better team by far, put this game away, kick the field goal. Now, I mean, obviously, there's some concern about the kicker here. The loss of Harrison Bucker has cost them a game, right? Yeah. Because he then does miss a field goal later. That's one of the other things that happened. And then you have the situation where they get a stop. And for whatever reason, Chris Jones and Matt Ryan continue to sort of chat with each other. And at the end, Chris Jones gets flagged for that. Now, there wasn't anything physical. There wasn't the kind of taunting that tends to draw flags. I mean, you guess since those two guys are there and the official is right there, that probably what was said was extremely inappropriate to draw that flag. But it is a, a bizarre situation where, I mean, it's not a taunting penalty. There's no, I mean, these guys are not in each other's faces even. They're just kind of standing there talking. And from that perspective, you would prefer to see the officials let the players decide it during the actual place. That's not to say that Chris Jones should have done that. I mean, there's there's no excuse for it, right? I mean, you're putting your team in a situation where they could potentially again lose a game against a terrible team. This this Indianapolis Colts team is absolutely awful. Matt Ryan was horrifically bad in this game. The Chiefs did get to him for five sacks. Uh, you know, he leads the touchdown drive at the end. I think that again, if you're a Colts fan, you've got to be really excited about Jelani Woods. He scores two touchdowns on his three targets. He's someone who drew a lot of buzz around the NFL draft for the elite athleticism. And then there was no buzz with him for a long, long time. And he even really falls out of any sort of interest in rookie draft startup drafts as you get toward the season. It was cool to see him make a couple of plays here. Alec Pierce had a bad drop at the end that could have cost them the game but otherwise played big, gave them some down the field capability. He goes for 361. You hope that this combination here of Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Jonathan Taylor, Woods, maybe that allows them to get something going. 
and Matt Ryan just, again, he looks completely and totally done, but he does win the game, which is something that nobody on the Kansas City Chiefs can say. And from that perspective, you got to give him credit. You got to give the Colts credit. I and mean, this is a game that would have been easy for them to more or less just lie down in because, I mean, they should have been beaten by three touchdowns, but they're not. The Chiefs have to get themselves together in a hurry. This was a very entitled sort of performance. They need to figure out who their good players are. This is a game where Jarek McKinnon carries seven times for 20 yards. Isaiah Pacheco carries three times for nine yards. Looks absolutely terrible. Looks like a player who was a bad college football player, which is what he was. That doesn't mean that he can't be a good NFL player at some point, but it's weird that the Chiefs are kind of pushing him into this position. He looked bad. Edwards Alaire carries seven times for zero yards. At one point, while I was watching the game, a family member asked me, if the Chiefs cut CEH, would anyone else pick him up? I mean, that's how bad their former first-round pick is. Now, CEH does score a touchdown. He does catch five passes for 39 yards. So from a fantasy perspective, he's actually still working out pretty well for folks. I don't think that we need to mention the player who should be out there and give the Chiefs a chance to establish a running game. Drop a note in the if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, drop a note as to who that player should be. Let us know who that player should be. But yeah, I mean Justin Watson only one target. McCole Hardman can only draw one target in this game. The the Chiefs looked bad and they're gonna be frustrated until they fix some of these issues. Still, even with that, it took a string of like six fluke occurrences for them to not defeat the Indianapolis Colts on the road. You mentioned, Sean, the word there, uh, entitled. I think that was a, a good word. Just for anyone listening and for you as well, Sean, that was complete sarcasm when I was mentioning the fact that the Bill or the, the Chiefs should be trying out these plays in this situation. Um, just a bizarre play for them to go for, kind of the, the trick field goal play there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Moving on now to a game where we see again the Baltimore Ravens look absolutely fantastic i think at this point we can say that lamar jackson through three games is playing at a an mvp level there is a certain number of players around the league playing at a, at a at a ridiculous standard he is somebody who's really betting on himself heading into the season with the you know contract negotiations being his own agent not signing the extension 218 yards passing just in this with four touchdowns 107 yards and 11 carries one rushing touchdown so five combined touchdowns for him so anyone who is drafted Lamar on their fantasy rosters this year are really off to a, a dominant start at the position Mark Andrews with a big day eight for 89 and two touchdowns I wrote in my notes that Mark Andrews was making big boy plays uh, out there the other notes that I've taken Sean is Dobbins obviously returns which is a positive sign quiet day for him just the seven carries 23 yards on those two receptions on two targets 17 yards very good though to see him back out there a little bit disappointing for people who may have started them on their teams today but you know it's, it's great to see him continue that recovery both off the Patriots running backs I thought looked very good in this game both making it into the end zone and um, the other big thing that I noticed was somebody who I had thought after two weeks was kind of completely toast at this point was Devontae Parker he got 10 targets in this five receptions 156 yards one of his best games in, in a long long time the other note Mac Jones looks to have a high ankle sprain he hurt got hurt late in this one but a pretty disappointing game overall by by mac jones in this particular one what was your overall thoughts on on how this game played out and the other note i guess is that devin duvernay just can't stay out of the end zone but it's very very tricky fantasy play if you're if you're going from that perspective but the ravens again looking looking strong yeah lamar jackson is more or less unstoppable right now that's really cool to see this baltimore team so fun to watch jackson was one of the players that we really encouraged people to draft that he was just wildly undervalued for most of the offseason now he did take a multiple round jump down the last couple of weeks so you didn't get that same value if you were drafting in main events or drafting in some of these best ball tournaments in the final weeks of august the first week of september there but throughout the offseason, his price just didn't make any sense whatsoever. And then the other guy who is coming along with that, Mark Andrews, you mentioned the explosiveness there, 8 for 89, two touchdowns. I think that people should be buying Rashad Bateman, who, again, looked explosive in this game. A couple of the missed passes by Lamar Jackson were to Bateman and then J.K. Dobbins. The really cool sort of under-the-radar note here is that Dobbins did have the two targets if they're willing to pass to the backs a little bit more than they have previously, it really opens up Dobbins for the potential for a monster season. Now, you weren't necessarily expecting him to have a huge workload today. There were some whispers that he might be extremely involved. That didn't end up being necessary. Also, Justice Hill looked fantastic. Hill, one of our favorite players. To be your, yeah, I mean, you're 30th or if you're in a 30 roster spot dynasty league justice hill is probably in competition for that 31st spot so that's about where he fits but a, a savvy pickup these last couple of weeks he started to look good he was in our notes for the preseason love the fact that they've actually gone to him made Kenyon drake inactive today justice hill so much more juice than you get from mike davis or 
Kenyon Drake, Mike Davis, I do believe was active, does not touch the ball in this one. All of those very promising developments. I guess I would quibble with your take on Mac Jones. I thought he looked sensational today. He throws 32 passes, 321 yards. So he's averaging over 10 yards per attempt. And his receiving core is bad, right? You mentioned Devontae Parker. He goes five for 156 on the 10 targets. He does have another pass intended for him today intercepted. That's been a theme on the year for the Patriots. Doesn't make a very good effort on that particular one either. The thing I was thinking as I watched this game is that this offense is better than people are giving it credit for. Now, the Baltimore Ravens, a team that you can't pass the ball against. You can score some points against them. But Mac Jones looking good. And I think that once Tyquan Thornton comes back, and certainly when Jacoby Myers is out there, when they have their actual complement of receivers, this team is going to be fun. Ramondre Stevenson, 12 carries, 73 yards, a touchdown. Looked sensational. Right again. This is the that's the reason he was drafted where he was. And I still think it's going to be very difficult for him to justify his actual draft cost. We were recommending really just at the end to select Damian Harris, two to three rounds less expensive, still sort of the nominal starter. He goes 11 for 41 and a touchdown. And this one he scored in back-to-back games now, also adds in two receptions, four receptions for Stevenson. So they have the two above average backs. They more or less haven't used Hunter Henry at all this season. That's kind of a weird one, but they have a couple of potentially dynamic tight ends. They have receiving depth. Mac Jones can throw the ball down the field. They had some weird turnovers in this game, including Nelson Aguilar getting the ball punched out at the end. The Patriots don't do turnovers. And so one of the mild concerns I would have is that they make Mac Jones play a little bit more conservatively going forward. They're obviously going to be on all of those skill position players to stop fumbling the ball as they have been in the first three games. Just so unfortunate that Jones gets hurt at the end, because if not for that, I think that even at one and two, the Patriots would have to be really okay with how their season has started. Unlike some teams, you know, who are losing to the Indianapolis Colts, the Patriots two losses come to teams who are quite good. And with a rising second year quarterback you can look and say uh, i mean this team has a very bright future but these injuries are, are so frustrating you watch that game today with the new york jets and you can't help but think man if zach wilson were out there maybe the team would be worse but at least they would be developing to see all of those weapons the jets have and for joe flacco just to be kind of unleashing these bombs down the field it was a big air yards day for elijah moore repeatedly targeted deep repeatedly no actual production there catches hardly any of those passes as the jets are trying to score and at least get us some garbage time points joe flacco rockets a ball off of reese hall in close quarters hall looking good again today garrett wilson looking good again today a little bit of a scare when he leaves the game for a stretch with that rib injury that was one of the most vicious hits I've seen that one completely clean. I did think that on the other side, I mean, you'd like to see some ejections in these games. The hit that LaMarcus Joyner put on T. Higgins is not one that we want in NFL games. T. Higgins looked fantastic. They probably robbed of a touchdown. Probably his heels don't come down. But again, not one there, at least from any angles I saw that were completely definitive. So you would overturn it. But he looked like a monster. 
Jamar Chase ends up with an okay fantasy line, not necessarily for a top six pick, but makes a, a poor play on a flea flickerish opportunity early, fumbles, fails to catch a ball at the one yard line, doesn't make a play on another deep ball. So you look at the overall line and he has 10 targets, even though he only gets the 29 yards on the six receptions. And he could have had 150 yards easily in this one. Not anything to worry about exactly, but just disappointing with someone who has that talent. But Colin, this is the game that we've been talking about. I don't understand why the Bengals should ever be in a situation where they're three games into the season and they're saying we're going to get back to what we do. But on the other hand, I'm not sure they've ever done it quite like this, where all three receivers very involved. I don't understand how teams are stopping Tyler Boyd when they have to account for T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. The Jets don't stop Tyler Boyd. In this one, he goes four for 105 and one, breaks some tackles there. It was kind of humorous because he doesn't have the the long speed. There were some dream sequence running (laughs) segments at the very end of his touchdown, but Tyler Boyd coming through with the big game. Yeah, Tyler Boyd, one of the... I guess one of the poster boys um, for the road of his OT listeners from from back from the very, very start. Big play from him on that touchdown. Like you, Sean, I was like, is he going to get caught? Is he going to get caught? And he, he makes it all the way to the end zone on that long touchdown, gets 56 yards in the touchdown, and that finishes with 105. I think there's a couple of things that probably helped the, the Bengals in this one. They, you know, the, the, the Jets coverage system has probably has helped them to open things up. That broken play obviously boosts Boyd's stats quite a bit in that particular, well, not broken play, but the way it worked out with the, the last tackle being broke there. But I thought that a key off this was the fact that they did not go to Joe Mixon repeatedly in this game. Um, finishes up in terms of the running back splits, we get... Nine carries for Samaji P. Ryan. He goes for 47 yards. We have Joe Mixon, 12 carries for 24. And then in the passing game, pretty much an even split, two for 14 on two targets going the way of P. Ryan. But they did give seven targets to Joe Mixon, three for 14 going his way. So still, you know, 19 combined opportunities for him between the targets and the, the rushing. I think that this offense tends to look better when Joe Mixon isn't heavily featured and this was a game I was kind of afraid that they may try and feature him a little bit more, but I think that overall helped the the wide receiver element of this offense. Is that something that you noticed while watching him? Well, I noticed that he was struggling, which is... <laughs> well, that, that's nothing new, Sean. <laughs> well, it's not new exactly, but there still aren't going to be too many games where he has 19 opportunities for 38 yards. But yeah, I mean, he shouldn't be the focal point. It was fun for anybody who drafted a decent amount of P Ryan in best ball to see him get that receiving touchdown. That was a play that really helped the Bengals get going in this game. On the other side of the ball, you have eight for 39 for Brees Hall, 11 for 39, Michael Carter, perhaps a little bit of a surprise to some people that Hall goes for six receptions, 53 yards on 11 targets. I mentioned the, Poorly thrown ball at the end that turned into an interception. Michael Carter, only two targets, one reception, seven yards. That part, again, probably frustrating for people who are playing him today. It's hard to understand exactly how you get that line. But Brees Hall is going to be an absolute superstar at the NFL level. If there are people in your leagues who are seeing these early numbers, know that he's in a workload split 
and maybe they like what he's doing, but just are concerned about the long-term volume outlook, I would make pretty aggressive offers to try and get Brees Hall here. I mean, 11 targets in this game. Now, they're going to have a quarterback change. You're not probably going to get quite that target volume to the backs. But I mean, this is a game where the Jets and Joe Flacco attempt 52 passes. Tyler Conklin, eight of those targets. He goes for eight receptions, 84 yards. We mentioned Garrett Wilson. He had the four receptions, probably 46 yards before the injury, just a couple more catches after the injury. Elijah Moore, 10 targets, but only catches four for 49. Again, those other targets down the field, some shots at them. Moore is probably the best buy low in all of football right now, especially if you're in a dynasty league and you kind of look to the 2023 season where this team that has so many weapons is going to be moving uh, in some way, shape or form to figuring out this QB position. And then I expect them to be scoring it well. Elijah Moore is open, right? And he's being used in a lot of different ways, not purely a slot wide receiver. I think that the biggest concern that a lot of people had coming into this year is that they're just not going to use him on a wide enough variety of routes and have enough depth to the targets to make him a potential wide receiver one for fantasy. Now, in terms of the actual scoring, he's not anywhere close to those levels so far, but a guy who has a very, very bright future, especially as teams are going to have to contend with Garrett Wilson. I mean, you just can't cover both of these guys. There's going to be a point in time in the not too distant future where they're putting up massive scoring lines in fantasy football. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens if the quarterback changes this week or if it's a little bit further down the line. But, you know, if, if Zach Wilson can't be better than Joe Flacco, and I know Joe Flacco is going to you know, try and complete passes no matter what in this situation, but the Jets are in trouble if that's the situation. If he is worse, they can always go back to Joe Flacco. So that you, we, we don't know. That may also improve the offense, we hope as well but uh yeah it might be a little bit of a, a wait and see if that change happens this week on the running backs note Brees hall and michael carter both running backs we love carter a little bit unfortunate to have hall drafted onto that roster this year but Brees hall just looks like they both look good but Brees hall just looks fantastic so looking forward to that breakout continuing to emerge for him there sean the other players that we guess we don't we done well not to mention it to this point but the the falcons and the seahawks was a, a pretty fun game first half more fun than the second half um overall for a, a fantasy scoring perspective i had a pretty solid dfs day to day some of that led by dk metcalf who was was flying at halftime and didn't add a lot more after it but pretty pretty fun nonetheless but when we look through how this one played out we have marcus mariota looking pretty good most of the time uh 229 yards on, on 20 passing attempts for him but Cardrell Patterson really leading this team today with 17 rushes for 141 yards and a touchdown coming his way also one for 12 in the air we'd probably like to see a little bit more work in the air but it's gonna be hard for his body to continue to take 17 rush attempts per game but he he averaged 8.3 yards to carry looked really really good in doing so Sean we got a Kyle Pitts sighting we got some targets we got some receptions he looked pretty good we just didn't get in the end zone would like to see him still continue to be used more but this has to be classed as a positive as we step forward here drake london just three for 54 on six targets but does get the touchdown again looks good doing so so you know it's after three weeks the falcons offense we want more kyle pitts but it's looking pretty solid 
Um, then when we look at the the other side, we get Lockett and Metcalf kind of doing what we were hoping they would do on the way. And the other disappointment, I guess, coming out of it is no offense, just the four targets coming his way. It's four for 27 off those. What's your other takeaways or what's your key takeaways out of this Falcons-Seahawks game? The biggest thing is just you would like to see the Falcons throw the ball, but at least in this one, what they did was understandable, which hasn't always been the case in their games. You get 23 combined carries from Patterson and Alashier, only 20 passing attempts from Marcus Mariota. Of those 20 passing attempts, 14 of them are targets for Pitts and London. You love to see that. And the vertical element is there. So, I mean, if you get into some games where they could actually turn up the actual passing attempts a little bit, the sky is really the limit for these guys. We talked so much about market share of air yards, market share of targets, that the overall volume evens out to an extent. Now, it's only to an extent. Connor O'Driscoll had a fantastic article uh, this offseason in the last uh, about three weeks before the year started helping you understand what the passing volume was likely to be like for teams. You can look at what they've done in the past, and even with regression, you're still going to have certain teams that project to a lot more volume than others. Unfortunately, the Falcons, who move the ball very easily and are going to have a lot of favorable games in terms of domes and that type of situation, just don't look like a team that's going to have the passing volume that we might have liked, especially with the efficiency levels that you have. I mean, in this game, Mariota averages over 11 yards per attempt. And you do that because Kyle Pitts goes for over 17. Drake London goes for over 18. That's very, very efficient, even with Cordero Patterson just strafing the Seattle defensive line and secondary. I mean, he was often not finding contact until he was 15 yards down the field for a team that wants to be physical and have that kind of as their M.O., Seattle put up very little fight in this game in so many ways, or at least on the defensive side of the football. But we do have to say, Cordell Patterson looks fantastic. I mean, he looks absolutely unreal. He looks like he did in the first month of last season. It's really unfortunate, I think, that he didn't become a running back until he's basically in his 30s because this would have been really cool to watch for his career. I'm sure that he wishes that had been the case a lot more than I do, but it, it could have never happened. Right. And so it's just, it's a really cool final act. I mean, you think about uh, say your romantic comedy slash athletic story where you've got the guy who is about done. He's out of the league and he's going to make one more shot at it and transitions from a borderline special teamer into a running back star and then obviously you got to write in all the rest of the fun stuff as well but i mean quarter cordero patterson is a real life success story and it, it's really cool to see these undrafted free agents come out of nowhere and dominate play really well but it's also cool to see the redemption story someone who was a first round pick and was more or less a bust and then at this point in his career he comes roaring back and has a game like this i mean people are not supposed to look that big and athletic compared to other NFL players, right? I mean, when you're talking about guys who just jump out as having that much physical dominance, you're generally talking about a Barry Sanders or someone like a Tyreek Hill who has video game athleticism even out there against NFL quality athletes. Cordero Patterson, not quite to that level, but this is a game 
where, like you mentioned, he just looked very, very good. A guy who didn't get touched the ball much, but I was impressed by, and I think we could be talking about him a little bit in this light in the future. Kenneth Walker gets the three carries, goes for 19 yards, looked great. Rashad Penny, a little bit of a better game here. You kind of hate to see those three carries for DJ Dallas, although he looked good on them. He also got two targets for 17 yards. Those five plays are plays that were actually very effective. So it doesn't make sense to complain about them, but you'd love to have the other guys get in there. Walker and Penny combined for four targets. They catch all four of them. Don't really turn them into a lot of yards. You mentioned Noah Fant. He catches all four of his. Again, he's a guy who probably should be a lot more involved, but when Parkinson and Disley catch all five of their targets for 78 yards and a touchdown, it's going to be harder to make that case to the Seattle coaching staff. This was one where even though both of these teams are probably bad and both of the teams on Sunday night football in terms of the 49ers and the Broncos are probably good. This was actually a really cool game and one that you hate to see either team lose. Whereas the Sunday night debacle was maybe the worst game I've ever seen between two teams that probably are good. And really both of them should have had to take the loss in that game for the Broncos to get a win. <laughs> kind of unfortunate, but Closing out the discussion of Seattle, Geno Smith, 32 for 44, 325 yards, two touchdowns. Not a perfect game by any stretch. The Seahawks do lose to an Atlanta team that's probably not that good. But when you have your coach come out and say, you can get the job done, we have to be more aggressive, we're going to get DK Metcalf involved, and you do, you have Tyler Lockett go nine for 76 one of the reasons that we were buying some of the Seattle players is that it's possible to be wrong on some of these teams. And if you are, and you draft someone like a DK Metcalf, who is a bona fide star. Now he doesn't put up any kind of monster line in this game. It's just five for 61 yards and a touchdown, but Gino looked much, much better than Russell Wilson today. And I mean, I think that Seattle probably is going to have a number of games like their week two in the future, but this isn't going to be a, a team that, is like the Carolina Panthers or the New Orleans Saints, for example. I say that not having watched the Saints game yet. Maybe they were no. better than the bottom no. line would indicate. But no. I think you've got to give Gino some praise in this one. And that passing line there is, is going to work okay in some of our deep, deep super flex best ball leagues. Yeah, I think it will. And uh, you mentioned the Saints. Sean, I'd, I'd watch the game. But you give us an update on the, the next podcast. Not the not the most exciting but we did get a LaVisca Chanel sighting, so that was a that was a fun part to note in that game. But yeah, Seahawks, um, I think really, I think a little bit more aggressiveness and and given those wide receivers opportunities, like Metcalf's touchdown, for example, you know, give them them opportunities. There might be a little bit more risk involved. There might be some more turnovers, but I think you're going to get more results in your games with uh, taking those kind of shots. A few notes, Sean, to wrap up. I'm going to go rapid fire through a few things and then I'll get your thoughts on them. But one of my other notes was I thought with the Jacksonville Jaguars, they get a road win for the first time in like, I don't know, like 60 years or since this franchise was established or something like that. But uh, the, the Jaguars getting that win on the road against the, the Chargers. Trevor Lawrence has looked a lot better over the last two weeks. James Robinson looks fantastic. And Christian Kirk, Zay Jones looking pretty good as well over the the last couple of weeks um some disjointed offenses i guess to touch on the falcon or sorry the vikings do edge out a lions team who i felt the lions were very unfortunate not to come away with a win 
KJ Osborne, five for 73 and a touchdown. He comes through for them big late. You mentioned Dalvin Cook earlier. He dislocates his shoulder again. It is kind of a, an ongoing issue with him. We'll see how much time, if any time, he misses. He has strapped it up in the past and, and continued to play. The note here is uh, since Jefferson obviously dominated the Packers in week one, he has 18 targets in those last two games. He has nine catches for 62 yards and no touchdowns on those. So it's been a tough two weeks after the the first uh, explosive kind of debut to the season for Justin Jefferson against the Packers. Wasn't a tough game for Devontae Smith, who I never heard this before, Sean. I heard uh, him being referred to by the commentary team as the Slim Reaper, uh, which must be a nickname that he has from somewhere. Obviously, Devontae Smith quite a quite a slender guy but first half dominance from him here seven for 156 and one in the first half this was a game where the eagles kind of just shut it down then at halftime they were 24 to zip up at halftime no scores coming the way of washington really to the last couple of plays of the game they finish with eight points in the fourth quarter 24 to 8 just sheer dominance jillen hurts 340 yards pass and three touchdowns one of his lowest russian totals off his young career so far but just so so dominant aj brown five for 85 and a touchdown um yeah so they just they blew the doors off here pretty much they they could if it was competitive i think they put up even more points at that point and then the other note sean is jamal williams obviously disappointing day for dalvin cook i think he's maybe struggling a little bit with that injury he goes two for 20 receiving but he has 20 rush attempts 87 yards two touchdowns it feels like he may be a consistent thorn in the side of uh, DeAndre Swift drafters throughout the season? Possibly. It'll depend on whether or not Swift is healthy. One of the things last year that was odd is that Williams, even when Swift was out, basically did nothing. And it didn't look like even the best of the other running backs. We had Craig Reynolds take an early snap in this one, which I think had to be horrifying if you were playing Jamal Williams but then he looks good the rest of the game. We've talked that in some of the earlier weeks, every touch that he had was more or less hurting them because the lack of explosiveness is so glaring, but he had some very nice plays in this game. The problem for DeAndre Swift, it doesn't have anything to do with him. It's the fact that he's just completely injured right now. And you would like to go back and have them have held him out in week two and week three, just like you would have liked for the Chargers to hold out Justin Herbert today, just it doesn't make sense to risk your players like that. The Lions made so many mistakes in this game, but the thing that was unfortunate is just you have the injuries, right? So you have Amon Ra turn an ankle early, doesn't have the explosiveness after that, only goes six for 73 when it looked like he probably could have torched the Vikings in the same way. He did the first two teams. DJ Chark makes a big play early, but otherwise struggles. He's more or less fallen behind Josh Reynolds in the pecking order. Reynolds goes six for 96, 10 targets a day to lead the team. That's not really what the Lions want. But if you're stashing Jamison Williams, I think you've got to be excited about the fact that, you know, there's probably a role, although, you know, maybe you say, well, if Josh Reynolds is going to play that well, then that's not good for him. But the main point being that St. Brown and Williams can play side by side and put up some big numbers with DJ Chark more or less looking like someone who is done as an impact player in the NFL. This was one of a number of games that featured weird coaching decisions. The Lions go for 
a long field goal late up by three after their kicker had badly missed from that distance earlier in the game. One of the issues with that, just very straightforwardly, if you miss, then the Vikings are very close to field goal range to tie in the first place. They can go down and score a touchdown. If you make that field goal, then it's one of these sort of weird dynamics where you put more pressure on the opponent. And if you're up by three, a lot of teams will play it conservatively, play for the tie. They have a chance to miss the field goal themselves. You know, you can obviously go down and kick your own field goal if they miss time in the end of the game. And that's one of the things that's difficult in an NFL game is to actually score as time runs out and not leave a little opportunity there for the other team. You can go into overtime and win. And it sounds like you're being less aggressive if you're playing for the three points in the tie, but you go up by six, the other team has to go down score a touchdown and beat you. But if you miss that, then you put the other team in such a great position I love to see the teams be aggressive. I love Dan Campbell as I was watching this game and it looked like the Lions were going to win. And I was going to make the claim that, I mean, they may be the second best team in the NFC behind the Philadelphia Eagles, a team they obviously lost to. If they were two and one with their only loss being to the Eagles, you could make that kind of claim. The Vikings are probably a solid team. Kirk Cousins, you know, again, look terrible in this game. Justin Jefferson may struggle with all of the coverage because, I mean, one of the things about this game where Adam Thielen and K.J. Osborne both put up good actual stat lines is that the threat that they pose the defense is, is pretty minimal, right? So there are going to be some opportunities opened up just by the fact that teams are double and triple covering Justin Jefferson. Obviously, throw some offers out there, but no one's going to trade you Justin Jefferson just because he had a bad couple of games. He's going to come back out and explode as the season goes along. But the lack of arm strength and the lack of accuracy from Kirk Cousins it's it always sort of blows me away that he has managed to have a decent NFL career. And part of that is that very few quarterbacks in the last decade of the NFL have been surrounded by as much receiving talent as he has. But the Lions here make some mistakes. They have some injuries. Jared Goff looks fantastic in the first half, struggles a little bit in the second half. That part a little bit frustrating. We mentioned some of the strange decisions that the Chiefs made today, there were odd decisions from the Bengals where they've got a chance to kick a field goal and go up by three touchdowns at a point in the game where really almost the only way to lose would be to go for it on fourth down when you don't need to, give the other team momentum and have them come roaring back on you. Yeah, that didn't happen and it probably wasn't going to happen either way, but going for it on fourth down there was a little bit bizarre. But the other one that was just incredibly bizarre was that the Arizona Cardinals went for it on fourth down when they were down 11 in the fourth quarter. And again, it's a situation where, yeah, maybe the expected point value of going for it is more than kicking a field goal there. You could also say, well, what if we don't stop the Rams and we need those points? But this game developed in such a way that in the next possession, they go ahead and kick a field goal merely because they need 11 points and they have to then try an onside kick. If you had kicked the field goal the first time, then everything else would have been different. Maybe you don't get that sort of unique and unlikely Rams turnover that actually gave them a chance to, to stay in this game. But coaches need to be understanding the time and score in the game, not just the play call that has the most expected value if you're not in that dynamic, right? We saw a lot of coaches make bad decisions being aggressive today, which is something that you never would have thought would be the case 
as recently as say two years ago, but so many teams not seeming to understand the time, the score, and the things that their team is good at. Maybe the case with the Bengals there was that the weather was starting to be an issue for kickers because Evan McPherson does actually badly shank a somewhat short field goal later in the game. Maybe that was the reason for that one. Maybe it was just, you know, we're so far ahead, who cares what we do? But it's weird to see some of these young coaches now, and, and coaches really of all ages and stripes and experience levels, attacking at times that doesn't make sense. Now, and one of the things you'd hate to see about that is that making bad decisions there and failing is going to, in many cases, will lead people to be less aggressive in the future when they need to be. And so the, the number one thing, just make the right decision. But the number two thing, you know, don't create a dynamic where you're going to be ultra aggressive when you shouldn't have, and then not make important aggressive decisions later on in the season, later on in your career. Yeah, I would agree with that, Sean. The other part that you mentioned there was the um, Lions and their decision to go for the field goal. That was a fourth and four at the Minnesota 36. And I think, you know, if you're, I, I always think there's a chance there, if you get a first down there, the game's over. They, that there is a minute and 14 left in the, the fourth quarter. At that point, you, you kill the game off. And I think they're decisions that you should really be, you, you broke it down well. There'll be six points up. They can still lose the game. Didn't really change a huge amount. Minnesota Vikings still go and get the touchdown either way. But um, I, I would like to see teams try and salt the game away in those situations and, and try and get the, the first down. The other player, Sean, that I mentioned was Devontae Smith. What what was your – we'll save some of the other thoughts for either Stadium Bananas or for Rotoviz OT on Wednesday. But Devontae Smith, you, you mentioned him earlier, but he just looked like a – I don't know what to say in the U.S., a man possessed <laughs> – but uh, he looked like a man that had uh, just transformed to a different form. He's good, right? I mean, it's pretty you good. look at that week one and you look about where, how should we be reacting and which players are buys and players who were better than Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddell in college. Players who became the first wide receiver in years to win the Heisman Trophy players who were picked in the top 10 in the draft and then go on to set a rookie receiving record for their franchise. When that player puts up zero catches in week one, you buy and buy and buy and buy. And the, the hard part again, is just that when you're playing in redraft and you have a lot of options as we do, then sometimes when you're not to the bye weeks yet, you don't have them in the lineup. And so one of the things about Garrett Wilson in week two and Devonte Smith in week three is that in many cases, what you have is a, boatload of bench points that part can be a little bit frustrating and at the same time i mean you want your bench to score right it's not a good sign for you if you have devin singletary on the bench and he continues to not score because then you don't have the option to play him later now maybe it'll all be a little bit of a bait and switch and you put him back in and they will make the move to a james cook Devontae Smith, I don't think you have to worry about that. I mean, this Eagles offense is going to be fantastic. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson are going to be tough to beat. If you don't have them at QB, it's going to be... He's the other person in the MVP discussion. Yeah, I mean, those those guys look absolutely fantastic. And when you have Smith and A.J. Brown out there, it's going to be very, very difficult. The play that didn't work out today really that well, even though he scored a touchdown, was Brandon Ayuk, Jimmy Garoppolo. To have two players who 
have been Super Bowl quarterbacks play like Garoppolo and Wilson did on Sunday night was remarkable. And I wouldn't consider them to be Super Bowl quarterbacks in quite the same way that you might consider, you know, Joe Flacco to be a Super Bowl quarterback where, I mean, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is in that conversation. Russell Wilson obviously has been a star. Garoppolo missing wide open guys left and right. But the reason that you try and create a lot of exposure to Garrett Wilson, Devontae Smith, Brandon Ayuk, when you have these two receiver offenses where you think both guys are stars. It's not that we have zero Debo. I mean, he's somebody that we really like. We have some exposure to him. We have some exposure to AJ Brown and you have some exposure to Elijah Moore. That's the part that is really not working out right now, but a ton of exposure to the other three. And if they hit when they hit because they're stars, because they're discounted for reasons that are not related to talent, you have this asymmetrical upside that isn't just asymmetrical, but it's it's huge. And you know, maybe we've already seen the best game from Garrett Wilson. Maybe I mean it's fairly likely that this is the best game from Devontae Smith, even though I mean it was just like you said, it was one half. If the Eagles are in a shootout, then I mean he's probably not gonna hit 300 yards, but I mean this could be a 250 yard game from Devontae Smith if Washington does their part. So, you know, maybe we'll have a big game from him in the future. But even if those are the biggest games, these guys look like they're going to be very solid fantasy contributors for you as you go into the bye weeks. And then, you know, hopefully as you weather injuries and build a team that's ready to compete for the $1 million, or if you're trying to win your league against your coworkers, against your college friends, and I mean, that's... That's what it's all about, right, Colin? Get those bragging rights. Those guys will be there for you. You'll be able to spend all of next year explaining to your boss, explaining to your former college roommate that you just you knew that was going to happen. So that's the fun part. And that was one of the things I loved about today. So many cool performances on a day that also had a lot of weird stuff going on. And Sean, you mentioned it was just one half as well. I, I know these things can work out different ways, but it could have been even bigger from a fantasy scoring perspective. The AJ Brown touchdown that I mentioned in the stats earlier, that was a play where it was a 44-yard pass to Devontae Smith who got downed at the one-yard line. So a yard another way, that's a, a two-touchdown day as well for him. And that first half, as we mentioned, but yeah, they, they just look, they, they are fun. The Philadelphia Eagles are fun. And hopefully we get some competitive games this year where they continue to, just have to stack up those points in the second half but that's going to get us towards the end of today's show and the, the week three recap if you're watching this over on youtube hit that subscribe button give us that thumbs up if you're listening on the podcast feed if you can drop us a written interview we would really appreciate that as well but sean we will be back on wednesday with the second show of the week three road of his overtime shows coming your way this week to get you set for week four of the nfl season if you are signing up over at Rotoviz, you can use the code RBRadio2022 at checkout. Save yourself 10%. You can get access to all our content and tools and obviously help support the podcast network as well. You can get all of Sean's work up there, all of Blair's work, all of the entire team's work and uh, fantastic content being put out on a daily basis over at rotoviz.com. Once again, that code is RBRadio2022. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host is Sean Siegel course as i mentioned check out all his writing this week up on rotaviz.com and until we're back with another podcast 
have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.